scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 33, verses 15 through 23, and Exodus 34, verses 4 through 9. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O oh Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. The word of the Lord. I want to take a minute before we uh, dive into our bigger purpose this morning and uh, speak to those of you who might be wondering about what verse 7 of chapter 34 says. God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. When you hear those words, your first thought might be, that's just, first of all, it's not fair. Secondly, it seems to contradict what God just said about himself being compassionate and gracious. Um, so it's worth taking a moment to think about that. Uh, the first thing I'd say is th there are actually several Old Testament texts that point out explicitly that God doesn't punish one person for another person's sin. Um, in fact, he doesn't punish children for sins their parents committed. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 18 speaks to that. Jeremiah chapter 31 speaks to that. Deuteronomy chapter 7 speaks to that issue. So God doesn't punish children for the sins of their parents. But, but isn't that what this says? 
Actually, this language is a repeat of um, a fuller statement in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, where God says that he will punish sin to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So when we read this statement here, we're already in the book of Exodus. We've already read an earlier statement that qualifies this and explains it further. God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. People who continue in rebellion against God raise up children oftentimes who continue in rebellion against God and grandchildren who continue in rebellion against God and great-grandchildren who continue in rebellion against God and and those who continue in rebellion against God God treats as their rebellion deserves that's what this passage is saying it's not saying that God's going to be unfair that he's going to make your children suffer for something that you did the good news of course is that um, there's a way to get out of this cycle of rebellion and that way is to turn to God and throw ourselves on the one who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And then here, what just staggers the imagination, that he maintains love to thousands. Again, almost every interpreter takes that to mean to thousands of generations. So beyond what you can fathom, God's mercy, grace, and forgiving love extends that far. So, um, just thought I'd take a moment to set that uh, aside. I didn't want confusion over that to keep you from hearing what God really means us to hear from Exodus 34 uh, today. Um, you'll recall that what we're doing is trying to get a taste for kind of the heartbeat of each of the first five books of the Old Testament. And that heartbeat is found here in Exodus 33 and 34. Um, by the end of this book, God's people have finished their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And they are camped on the plains of Moab, on the east side of the Jordan River. And they are getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And they're having this moment of crisis going, why are we here? What's the point of all this again? I mean, because we've heard all these great stories about Egypt and the Exodus, but very few of us were alive to see those things. Most of those people are dead now. And, and here we are surrounded by all these nations with all these gods, and we, we have this religion centered on this one God, and nobody's ever heard of him except for us. And why is it so important, again, that we go into that land and that we don't participate in the worship of any of the gods that are worshipped in that land? Why, why is it we're supposed to be this people centered on him? And why is it we're going to do this with an unproven leader? Because Moses is dead. And the assistant pastor named Joshua still kind of wet behind you he's gonna lead what are we doing and what if it turns out to be bigger than we're ready for 
so when I read the book of Exodus and, and, and kind of think of God's people in that moment in their life asking that, why are we here type question, the image that comes to my mind is remembering being a very young boy when my dad was working in forestry. And so if there was a forest fire, he would get called and he would throw me in the back of the truck and ride me out with all the guys and their shovels and equipment, chainsaws. You know, and I'm six years old, seven years old. And you get there and the truck parks and you see the blaze, you see the flames, you see the smoke. And, um, and you got to go save the world, right? Even if you're six. Because you know, standing in the back of the truck, I was made for something bigger than staying in the truck all my life. So you jump out and you go save the world with your toy chainsaw. <laughs> You know, it's got a little chain on it. You pull the, pull the cord back and you pull the trigger. And, and if you hit a dead branch hard enough like that, it'll break it off. And you feel, you know, you, you, you know that feeling? I'm made for something bigger than staying in the back of the truck, but I'm not quite sure I'm big enough to hold a real chainsaw. I know I'm called to something bigger than just getting to the end of this day. But what if I'm not ready for that something bigger? I think I'm called to make a difference in the world. I think I'm called to something more than just getting more stuff. Have as much stuff as you can have. I think I'm called to something bigger than have as many sexual experiences as you can have. I think I'm called to make a difference in the world that's bigger than just get more, get more, get more. I want to get out of the truck, but what if I'm not big enough to save the world yet? Israel's having that moment, getting ready to cross into the promised land. Who are we? Why are we here? And what if we're not ready for it? That's the heartbeat of the book of Exodus. Exodus is written for people who are wrestling with that very question. So here's what God says. He says, you are here to change the world by living as a kingdom of priests. We read this verse earlier, verse 16 of chapter 33. Moses says to God, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Your people. We are your people. And there is something that's intended to distinguish us from all the other peoples. Now, I'm going to shamelessly apply all of this to us, even though the majority of us have, have no Jewish ethnicity. We aren't Israelites. We aren't Israel. The, the New Testament gives us that permission it uses this kind of language that Exodus uses to talk about the nation of Israel, to talk about people who belong to Jesus. And some of that language is what we're seeing here. Back in Exodus chapter 19, God says, You are my treasured possession, and I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is, I will give you a calling that is set apart and separate from every other nation on the face of the planet, as my people, you are to live and change the world as a kingdom of priests. And that's what Moses is referring to here when he says, 
what will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth. Remember, God, our calling as a kingdom of priests? How are we going to fulfill that calling? Well, we have to get over some challenges. The first challenge we have to get over is we really don't understand what it means to be a kingdom of priests. What's that all about? And God says, I'll show you. You want to know what it means to be a kingdom of priests? Let me show you. And so the book of Exodus is full of commandments about how to build a tabernacle, a place where priests would lead worship, and to locate that tabernacle in the center of the camp. Every time Israel set up camp, they put the tabernacle smack in the middle and then placed their tents around it. I will show you what it means to be among the nations what a priest is in the tabernacle. A priest is the guy who stands kind of on the boundary between God and the people, bringing the people into the presence of God. The priest is the one who teaches, symbolizes, embodies what it means to live with God in the center of all of reality. And God is saying to us today through the book of Exodus, you were made for something bigger than just getting more. You were made for something bigger than just getting to the end of the week so you can partay. You were made for something bigger. You were made to change the world by being a kingdom of priests. You're to be this little living laboratory showing the world what it means to live with God at the center of everything. And what does that mean and what does it lead to? Well, one of the other ways God shows us, not just through the tabernacle, but through the ministry of Moses. Read Exodus 32 and 33 and 34, and you see Moses having to intercede on behalf of the people. Because in chapter 32, while Moses is up getting all these commandments, Israel is down here breaking them all. Making a golden calf. Aaron says, I didn't make it, I just threw the gold in the fire and out popped this cow. And, and, and God says, I'm, just, I'm done with this people. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, don't. And God says, yeah, I'll start over again, and I'll just make a great nation out of you, Moses. And Moses says, no. May your people share in the blessings that you're going to shower on me. That's what it means to be a priest, is to fight so that other people can share this life living with God at the center of everything and all the light that that brings. Ultimately, of course, Moses isn't the great high priest. Jesus is. If you want to know what it looks like to live with God at the center of everything, look at the life of Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like to fight so that other people can share the blessings that come from living with God at the center of everything, look at the fight that Jesus puts up so we can share in God's goodness. We were created to change the world by being a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? Some of you aren't word people, you're picture people, so let me paint you a picture. You were created to fly to the dark side of the moon. You were created to live on the earth, which is centered around the sun, and to enjoy warmth, 
and light and life and goodness that comes from the sun and beauty. You were made to live with the sun at the center and enjoy all the blessings and benefit that come from that. And yet, there are people you know who are living on the dark side of the moon. They never see the light of the sun. They don't know what it's like to live with God anywhere in life, let alone at the center. As a kingdom of priests, we're created to live in God's light in such a way that other people look and see, I want to live there too. That looks good. I want to be part of that. So we were created to be this kingdom of priests. Priest people who would fly to the dark side of the moon and say, do you want to come into the light with me? Very thankful for a lady named Linda Tyner. She was a high school social studies teacher. She's the one who started encouraging her daughter to invite me and some of my friends to go to church when I was in high school. Didn't know Jesus at all. Didn't know anything about God other than, well, obviously he loved me because I was so awesome. She was being a priest. She was saying, hey, I think that little guy over there is on the dark side of the moon. He needs some light in his life. Did she know all the words I needed to hear that would break through my hard heart and cause me to love Jesus? No, she didn't know them all. But she knew these words. Want to go to church with me? <laughs> Can I come pick you up? Can I give you a ride home afterward? Would that be okay with your parents? To be a priest? The kingdom of priests? Doesn't mean you have to have the entire Bible committed to memory. It just means you got to love living in the light. And love people who are living on the dark side of the moon. Who do you know whose life is just devoid of light and joy right now? Maybe spiritually, maybe financially, maybe, maybe maritally. Their world is falling apart. Maybe through grief and death and sorrow. You know somebody whose life is dark. Just start praying like a priest. Lord, Jesus teaches me how to fight so that other people can share the joy of living in the light. Would you make me a priest? Help me know who's living on the dark side of the moon. Sounds awesome. Big problem. The first challenge is we don't, we don't know what it means to live as a kingdom of priests. The second challenge is <laughs> changing the world and living faithfully as a kingdom of priests, flying to the dark side of the moon, it's too big. We can't do it. There's no way. You know what God says? He says, you're right. Which is why I'm going to be with you. Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anybody know that we're different from all the other nations if you aren't with us? How can we be a kingdom of priests if you aren't with us? This is going back to the early chapters of Exodus, burning bush, that Moses moment. 
we think the Moses moment is this kind of holy thing, this phenomenal experience. Moses in the wilderness seeing the bush that's on fire and it's not being burned. And he takes his sandals off. And he, What we don't realize is the real Moses moment is when Moses says, Lord, seriously? Me? You want me to go get in the face of Pharaoh? You want me to change the world by fighting him? <laughs> I stutter. I'm 80. I've spent 40 years shepherding sheep because I was on the run. Remember all that? I am not choice number one. Who am I to do this? And God's response is, I will be with you. Lord, who are we? We're just in town. We're just one little church. We can't change the world. What are you thinking? And God says, I'm thinking I will be with you. What if there's not enough of me to go around? God says, there's enough of me to go around. And I'll be with you. You know, your heart starts to cry out that fear. Lord, what if everybody finds out I'm a fraud? <laughs> and he says, I'm not a fraud. And I'll be with you. I don't know how to be a priest. I don't know how to fight so that people can know your goodness. And God says, I know how to fight. I know how. I'll be with you. What if people find out that just plain old Jimmy isn't enough? What if we come to that point one day when in town sees that the guy they called to be their pastor is, is not smart enough, he's not holy enough, he's, he's not loving enough. He's just an ordinary guy. When your heart is thinking that way, you know what God says? You'll never be ordinary again. Because everywhere you go, I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I'll tell you who you are. You are my treasured people. And I'll tell you why you're here. You are here to change the world, not by showing that you are in the center of everything. You are here to change the world as a kingdom of priests living to show that my light is at the center of everything. So the only way you can get to the dark side of the moon to love people who need light is to go there in a rocket. And the rocket is when God wraps you in his arms and says, I will be with you. That's where the strength comes from. One last challenge if we want to be a kingdom of priests who change the world. When we're having our Moses moment. When we're having our Israel on this, in the plains of Moab's moment. Oh, what are we doing? Is this too big for us? That challenge is just awareness of our own hearts. This is not a power problem. It's not a, am I, am I big enough? Is this too big for me? This is a, am I pure enough? Because I know the wickedness is inside my own heart. And God says, 
I know it too. And guess what? My love will cover you. My love will cover you. I will make you a kingdom of priests who can change the world and bring light into dark lives and light into the dark corners of your own lives. And this is the way I will do it. I will cover you with my love. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You want to know who I am, Moses? You want to see my glory? Here is my glory in all its fullness. I am the Lord who is compassionate and gracious and abounding in love and slow to anger. And I am a God who forgives sin and wickedness and rebellion and iniquity to the thousandth generation. You may have a long track record of sin, but I guarantee you, your track record doesn't last a thousand generations. My love will cover you. You see what God is doing? He's saying, I got a job for you. I want you to live here on this planet with me at the center, basking in light and warmth and beauty and love. And I want you to live so faithfully here that people who live in darkness will say, I want to live in the light with you. I want you to go to the dark side of the moon. I want you to rescue them. I want you to find them. I want you to love them. I can't. I can't get there. I'm too small. I will be with you. I will wrap you in my arms. I am the rocket that will carry you into the lives of people who need to know me and my goodness. It will be okay. Yes, Lord, you're the rocket, but what's the fuel? You hear the answer? The fuel is love. The fuel is this radical love that will take people whose hearts are hard. People who are full of rebellion and wickedness and and evil. And he will say to us, I forgive you. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. You will be my treasured possession. When I look at you, I will not think, oh, but how impure you are. When I look at you, because of my mercy, my compassion, because of who I am, I will think, oh, how much I treasure you. And how much I want you. To show the world what I'm like I can't wait God says for you to get out of the back of the truck and save the world with me come fight Lord I can't I'm, I'm just too there's too much bad stuff in my heart I'm compassionate and gracious I'm slow to anger I am full of forgiveness. And that is the God who will be with us. That God.
the fuel is love. The thing that will make us love him so much that we would be willing to fight for other people so that they could share with us this life with God and his mercy and his goodness at its center. The thing that will make us love him so much that we would do that is His love and faithfulness. His grace. His forgiveness. Is that true? Is it true? That we'll change the way we live just because we love Him. You might be saying, I don't believe it. That's in the Old Testament. Okay, you don't want to listen to Moses? Let's listen to Jesus. Jesus said it very plainly. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. What's the power? What's the power? Love. We love him. Because he loves us. He's brought us out of the darkness into the light. And the joy and love that we have for him because of that changes us. And it makes us a kingdom of priests who are ready to fight. We can change the world. Not by ourselves. The God who loves us will be with us. Let's pray together.